Thank you, Christy. We are uh, continuing in our series on David's life, and there may be some here this morning or some hearing uh, the service this morning who are not familiar with where we've been so far. So the bottom line is it's a, it's a long story, right? <laughs> it takes a while to get through it all. But we're talking about David. David is the one, you might remember, who was chosen by God as king, as a shepherd boy. He killed Goliath. Remember that story, right? And in time, he makes his way to be king over all of Israel. But David doesn't always live up to what God wants him to do and make some mistakes along the way. And here we find David, again, we're kind of later in the story. We only have three weeks left after this week in David's story. But David is toward the end of his life, um, not exactly the end, but he's about 60 to 65 years old. And today we find David in a difficult place. Uh, all kinds of things have happened. Again, he sinned with Bathsheba. His children have made mistakes along the way. And last week we talked about a particular story in which one of his children uh, raped another and then another one of his sons killed that son. So it got pretty messy pretty fast, right? Let me invite you to turn uh, in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 14. That's where we're going to be today. We left off last week in 2 Samuel chapter 13. And as we talked about uh, last week, um, terrible things happen in David's household. And David uh, seems to kind of be passive in the whole dynamic. He doesn't seem to do a whole lot about it. And this one guy, Absalom, who's David's son, he is the one who murdered David's other son, Amnon, who had raped his sister. So it gets pretty complicated pretty fast. But Absalom has left town. Uh, he is living in another place, and David misses both of his sons tremendously, both the son who died, but also the son who murdered that son. David's army commander knows that David wants reconciliation with his son. And in 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 1, we read, Joab, son of Zariah, knew that the king's heart longed for Absalom. So Joab sets up this dynamic where a woman comes in, shares a story with David about her estranged son, and David seems to suspect that Joab is behind this whole deal. And in short, David says, okay then, bring Absalom back to Jerusalem. We read in verse 23 of chapter 14, then Joab went to Geshurb and brought Absalom back to Jerusalem. But the king said, he must go to his own house, he must not see my face. So Absalom went to his own house and did not see the face of the king. So the reconciliation is not really complete. He's got him back in town, but he's not spending time with him. He's not seeing him. Let's look at verse 25. In all Israel, there was not a man, this is describing Absalom, so highly praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the top of his head to the sole of his foot, there was no blemish in him. Whenever he cut the hair of his head, he used to cut his hair once a year because it became too heavy for him. He would weigh it, and its weight was 200 shekels by the royal standard. So if you want to remember Absalom, just remember him as the big hair son, right? He would have done well in the 80s. But Absalom, again, longs to see his father. Again, he's in town but they're not yet reconciled. We read in verse 28, Absalom lived two years in Jerusalem without seeing the king's face. Now, you can imagine the pain, both David's pain and his son's pain during this time. Two whole years where they're not speaking to each other. Absalom is a wounded son, no doubt. 
He longs to see his father. There's, there's a story in here where Absalom actually sets fire to one of his father's fields in order to get his attention. And finally, David agrees to meet with him. So in chapter 14, as chapter 14 closes, we find David and Absalom together. Look down at verse 33. So Joab went to the king and told him this. Then the king summoned Absalom, and he came in, and he bowed down with his face to the ground before the king. And the king kissed Absalom. They're together, but trouble is brewing. We flip over to chapter 15. We see Absalom beginning to undermine David. This is 2 Samuel chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses and with 50 men to run ahead of him. He would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. Whenever anyone came with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, Absalom would call out to him, What town are you from? He would answer, Your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, Look, your claims are valid and proper, but there's no representative of the king to hear you. And Absalom would add, If only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who had a complaint or case would come to me, and I would see that they receive justice. Sounds like a politician, doesn't he? He's beginning to undermine David's leadership. His father is the king, but he's the one down at the city gate saying to everybody, I'm the one who will really, really take care of you. Look at how it's described in verses 5 and 6. Also, when everyone, whenever anyone approached him to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Absalom behaved in this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice. And so he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. That's a key verse there, isn't it? Absalom is about building his reputation. He's about diminishing his father's reputation. Absalom asked his dad, hey, I need to go to Hebron to fulfill a vow. And David gives him permission to go. And while he's in Hebron, look at what happens in verse 10. Then Absalom sent secret messengers throughout the tribes of Israel to say, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpets, then say, Absalom is king in Hebron. He's overthrowing his dad. And you might remember David was in Hebron for a while as king before he ruled all of Israel. By verse 12, we see Absalom gaining strength, verse 12. And so the conspiracy gained strength, and Absalom's following kept on increasing. Finally, by verse 13, the messenger came and told David, the hearts of the people of Israel are with Absalom. In other words, you're in trouble. David is distraught. Not only did his son Absalom murder his other son, Amnon, but now Absalom is, the, is betraying his father. You can imagine David's pain. His response is recorded in verse 14. Then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, Come, we must flee, or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately, or he'll move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin on us and put the city to the sword. David knows what it means to run for his life, doesn't he? We had many years of doing this with Saul, but this time the betrayal is much deeper. It's his own son. If ever David needs a friend, it's now. 
He's gathering his stuff. He's getting ready to flee the palace. Now, we've learned a lot about David over the last several weeks. His life is full of ups and downs, victory and defeat. And now we have another valley in his life, another low point for David. Imagine with me the scene. David fleeing from his own city, a city that he built, a city that God had blessed, a city for several decades that had grown and prospered under his leadership. David is likely somewhere between 60 and 65 years old at this point in his life. All that he has built, all of his kingdom is now in jeopardy. David has his entire household with him as they flee the city. You can imagine how heartbroken he must be. You can imagine him looking back on the city, maybe flooded with memories of all the time that he had spent there. If ever David needs a friend, it's now. And this thread that's running through the story is that God does provide for David even in the midst of this low point in his life. Now, often we talk about Absalom and we remember the story where he overthrew his father. We talk about the rebellion and many of you might remember Absalom's death and how how that happens. But one of the the threads that runs through this story is these people who come and minister to David. Let's read in verse 15. This is chapter 15, verse 19. The king said to Atai the Gittite. Now, how many of you remember Atai the Gittite, right? Not many of us. It's kind of obscure guy in scripture. But he's talking to him and he says, why should you come along with us? Go back and stay with King Absalom. You're a foreigner, an exile from your homeland. You came only yesterday and today shall I make you wander about with us when you do not know where I'm going? Go back. Take your, take your people with you. May the Lord show you kindness and faithfulness. Now, this guy's never mentioned before, but here he is, a tie, and he has people with him, right? And they've joined David. It says, you came here only yesterday. Now, probably doesn't mean literally yesterday. It probably means you haven't been here very long, and he's a Gittite, and Gittites are from Gath. Now, do you remember who else was from Gath? Anybody? Goliath, right? So here's a foreigner from the same land as Goliath. And when things are going downhill for David, he sticks with him. David knows life's going to be hard where they're going. He doesn't know what what it's going to mean for him. And he encourages Atai, go back. Go to a safe place. And Atai says, no, I'm sticking with you, David. I'm going to be with you. Look at his response in verse 21. But Atai replied to the king, as surely as the Lord lives and as my Lord the king lives, wherever my Lord the king may be, whether it means life or death, there your servant will be. What a friend, right? He's loyal to David. He sticks with him. And he says, I don't care if we live or die, I'm going to be with you. We all need friends like that, don't we? And in the midst of Absalom's disloyalty, we see the loyalty of a tie. He's a true friend, a loyal companion for David. He's willing to stick his neck out and go with him. We need friends like that. Let's keep reading verse 23. The whole countryside wept aloud as all the people passed by. The king also crossed the Kidron Valley, and all the people moved on toward the wilderness. This is a tragic scene, weeping as they move into the wilderness. The next few verses, we see two other companions. Look at verse 24. Zadok was there, too, with all the Levites who were with him. They were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. They set down the Ark of God, and Abathar offered sacrifices until all the people had finished leaving the city. 
So we have Zadok and then we have the, the Levites. Who are the Levites? The Levites are the priests. And notice that they have the Ark of God with them. Now you remember the Ark, right? The Ark of the Covenant. And it was kind of this symbol of God's presence. And they had taken the Ark with them as they're leaving the city. But look at David's response in verse 25. Then the king said to Zadok, Take the Ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes... He will bring me back and let me see it in his dwelling place again. But if he says, I'm not pleased with you, then I am ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. I think that's intriguing, David's attitude here, don't you? I mean, he's humble. He's willing to let God do whatever God wants to do. He's not presuming that the ark belongs with him. He says, look, leave the ark in the city. If God is going to rescue us... He will rescue us. If we're killed in this rebellion, then so be it, he says. And so he tells Zadok and Abathar, take the ark back into the city. And what do they do? They respect the king. They do what David tells them to do. doesn't seem to be any resistance on their part. Now, in many ways, their friendship is different from a tie, isn't it? They're willing to do whatever David asks them to do. And he says, I want you to take the ark back. And so David does this. Look at verse 30. But David continued up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered and he was barefoot. All the people with him covered their heads too and were weeping as they went up. Imagine with me this picture in your mind. Powerful King David, barefoot, head covered, and weeping. The warrior king now mourning with head covered. We read in verse 31 about Ahithophel. That was David's counselor. We learned that he sided with Absalom in the rebellion. So David not only gained friends, but he also lost friends in this whole deal. But we're not done with his friends yet. God continues to bring people into David's life at this point in time. God has not abandoned David and he gives him friends. Look at verse 32. When David arrived at the summit where people used to worship God, Hushai the archite was there to meet him. His robe torn and dust on his head. So it says this is where people used to worship, so the landscape has greatly changed. And Hushai is another guy in the story. And again, we, we might read this story at home, might just kind of skip over all these pieces. But Hushai was there doing what? He was mourning with David, wasn't he? Robe torn and dust on his head. We're told in verse 37 that he's David's friend. We can learn much from Hushai, can't we? Sometimes our friends just mourn with us. Sometimes God calls us to be a friend, to simply mourn with somebody. We're not giving advice. We're not helping. We're just simply there crying with them. David's plea, please, that his plea for Hushai is that he would return and become Absalom's counselor. Now, again, that seems kind of strange. But again, David seems to be thinking about um, getting the kingdom back. And maybe this is one way that he'll do that. But let's keep reading here. We flip over to chapter 17. Let me have you do that with me. And reading down in verse 27. When David came to Mahanaim, Shobi, son of Naash, from Rabah of the Ammonites, and Bakir, son of Amiel, from Lodabar, and Barzili, the Gileadite, from Rogolan. Wow, that's a lot of names, isn't it? You don't want to be called on to read this scripture in class, right? But all of these people brought bedding and bowls and articles of pottery. They, are brought, they brought wheat and barley, flour and roasted grain, beans and lentils, honey and curds, sheep and cheese from cow's milk for David and his people to eat. For they said, the people have become exhausted and hungry and thirsty in the wilderness. 
Now, where's David? He's in this place called Mahanium. And it's interesting, I think, that this is the same place where Jacob had rested in the wilderness. And when Jacob was there in the wilderness, God sent angels to minister to Jacob. And here at this place, same place that Jacob was, David is there and his friends are bringing supplies. It's easy to read these names again and move past the significance of this. But the first guy, Shobi, he's from the sons of Ammon and those people are actually enemies of David, but here he is with David. The second guy, Makir, he's from Lodabar. Now, I don't know if you remember that town, Lodabar, but that was the home of Mephibosheth. We spent a whole week talking about Mephibosheth. Again, Mephibosheth was the grandson of Saul and Jonathan. He was disabled, and he fled to this place called Lodabar. It means no pasture land. It's kind of out in the boonies, right? And that's where Makir was. And Makir was the guy who had cared for Mephibosheth, and now he's there caring for David. And the third guy, Barzilli, if you read the next chapter, you discover that he's 80 years old. Now, he could have thought, I'm too old to do this, right? I'm, I'm retired now. But he's right there in the middle with all of David's friends providing for David. Now, we don't have time to recount the whole story this morning, but it's, it's quite an interesting story. You can read about it in chapter 18 of 2 Samuel. But, but in short, the story takes a tragic turn for David. Now, depending on how you look at it, you might think it's a good turn for David. But Absalom is killed, and David is not able to reconcile with him. He never had the chance to talk to his son again. He had the, never had the chance to apologize for maybe all the ways that he had failed him as his father. He never had a chance to apologize for not doing anything when his sister was raped. He never had the chance to apologize for not talking to him for two years, even after he had brought him back to Jerusalem. And when the news of Absalom's death comes, it hits David like a ton of bricks. Look at verse, um, verse 33 of 2 Samuel chapter 18. The king was shaken. He went up to the room over the gateway and wept. As he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Doesn't matter that Absalom had overthrown him, he's still a son. And David is mourning, he's grieving. Now, if you're in David's group of people, you're probably looking at this and thinking, Hey, Good, we can go back to the city now, right? We can go back and David can be king again. But David is broken. Joab, David's army commander, comes to him and has the courage to confront David. He tells David, look, David, I know you're grieving. I know life has been hard. I know your son is, is dead now. It's a tragedy. But David, we need you, need you back in leadership. Over in chapter 19, look at the first four verses with me. Joab was told the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. And for the whole army and for the victory that day has, was turned into mourning because on that day the troops heard it and said the king is grieving for his son. The men stole into the city that day as men steal in who are, not, who are ashamed when they flee from battle. The king covered his face and cried aloud, Oh, my son, Absalom, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And then look at Joab's words in verse 5. Then Joab went into the house of the king and said, Today you've humiliated all of your men who have just saved your life and the lives of your sons and daughters and the lives of your wives and concubines. You love those who hate you and hate those who love you. 
You've made it clear today that the commanders and their men mean nothing to you. I see that you would be pleased if Absalom were alive today and all of us were dead. Now go out and encourage your men. I swear by the Lord that if you don't go out, not a man will be left with you by nightfall. This will be worse for you than for all the calamities that have come on you from your youth till now. Joab's a different kind of friend, isn't he? <laughs> He's got a friend that speaks truth into David's life. Has the courage to say to David, look, I know you're sad. I know you're grieving. But you need to be king right now. And so what does David do? Verse 8. So the king got up and took his seat in the gateway. When the men were told the king is sitting in the gateway, they all came in before him. Now the city gate is where the king would do his business. And so when David is sitting in the gateway, everybody knows he's back. He's back in leadership. Now you might be feeling like a whirlwind this morning. We've been moving through the story pretty fast, right? And you might be thinking, well, I don't know all the pieces about it. But it's important that we learn the story, that we understand this story. And the story of Absalom's conspiracy and death, it's a tragic story. It's certainly a low point in David's life. But it's also a story where we see God providing for David, particularly through these obscure people. And maybe this morning, God would be prompting some of us to be the sort of friends that David had. He has friends when his life is in a dark place. We all need friends like this. That's why we're in church, right? Because we have a family here, people that support one another. And I'm not sure how God would be prompting you this morning. Maybe you need to be a friend that just weeps with someone. That's there and mourning with them. Maybe you need to be a friend that bakes a pie, that does a meal for somebody, and there are times when that's appropriate. And maybe you need to be a friend who is courageous enough to speak truth into the lives of one of your friends. I'm not sure what God would be saying to us this morning, but may we listen as God's word has been taught today. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for the story. And God, as we walk through this story together, there are many ways in which we understand um, you working and moving in David's life. Help us to be attentive to you in our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.